0: Uh, and this will wrap up chapter 6 and, uh, and the sermon on the level. So y'all go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. Uh, but before we get started, y'all know what I want to do. Alright, let's review. So, um, we're in the Gospel of Luke. We've been there for, what, almost a year now, right? So, uh, who wrote Luke? Luke. Luke? That's right, that's right. So, who is Luke? Doctor. Yeah. Historian. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, who's he writing to? Theophilus. Yeah. Theophilus. Who else? Gentiles. Yep. I see it. Who's Theophilus? We're not We're not sure. Sure. We don't know for sure, that's right. And and why is he writing? What's his purpose? Yeah. That's right. He he's writing to uh, to give a clear account of uh, of Jesus and Jesus' life, but also he was writing so Theophilus would know that the things that he had learned were true. So, you know, y'all, y'all hear your answers. Y'all hear giving. I don't know if y'all remember the first time I did this back in January, right after Christmas. Uh, and it was dead in here as I asked those questions. Nobody answered, but y'all fired off answers today. And, the right, and that's the purpose of doing this. That's the purpose. Repetition is how people learn. Repetition. The more I say it, the more Buffy says it, the more you retain, the more you remember. And so that's why we do it. All right. Any questions? No. All right. So before we read the text, let me let me ask you a question. How many of you in here? Just raise your hand. How many of you in here have ever wondered or ever wished at any point in time in your life that you could fly? Yeah, not not on an airplane or not with any help, just in and of yourself that you could fly. I think most of us, right, most of us wish we could fly at some point in our life, but just about the only way we can is on an airplane, right? I mean, there are other things, but about the most efficient way we can fly is, is on an airplane. Well, you remember last week we talked about, uh, we shared about our trip to Nicaragua and told you it was my first time on an airplane that I'd ever traveled, um, and it was, it was I, I loved it. It was, um, it, it was, it's really the only way to travel. And I don't know why it took me 33 years or 34 years, 35 years. I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> 35. Uh, 34. I was 34 at the time. So uh, yeah, I don't know how, why it took me that long to do it. But what, what, what surprised me about it is Kevin, uh, been out of the country almost 40 times, no telling how many different flights he's taken within those 40 trips. Scared to death, rocking back and forth, rocking back and forth in his, in his seat. I was shocked at how nervous he really was. But when you think about it, it makes sense. Because flying's not natural for us, for human beings. It's not natural for people. It goes against our nature for us to fly. We're not birds. We're not bugs. See, if a person could fly without any kind of help, just fly on his own ability, we'd call that a, a miracle, right? It'd be a miracle if a person could fly without any help. But listen to me. When we consider our own salvation, when we think about the act of the grace of God, it is awful that we don't realize that his grace is more of a miracle than us ever having the ability to fly. See, if God were to give us the ability to fly, it would involve him. It involve him changing our nature, right? For us to have the ability to fly, he'd have to change our nature. That's the same way his mercy and grace changes our nature. You with me? Does that make sense? But His grace and His mercy is way more radical. His grace and His mercy is way more radical because the nature change is way more radical. See, we go from being an enemy of God. We go from being someone who hates God, shakes our fist at God. We go from that to being His child. We go from that to being adopted into His family. So it's more of a radical change. And here's the point. Our actions, the things that we say, the things that we do, they will always be in line with our nature. Does that make sense? See, if we're birds, we can fly, right? If we're fish, we can breathe underwater. If we're humans, we can walk and we can talk. We can can do other things that humans do. But our actions will always be a reflection of what our nature is. Lost people will always act like lost people. Does that make sense? So in order for us to, to, to act in, cor- in accordance with what God commands, there's got to be a change in nature. That's the basic point of what our text is today. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you're there, go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand as we honor the holy and perfect word. Of God, We're going to start in verse 43. Starting in verse 43, Luke writes, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good, man, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, and when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been built, because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who has built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Father. Father. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. God, your word is is perfect. There's no contradictions in your word. No matter what the world says, no matter what they would try to have us believe, there are never any contradictions in your word. Everything fits together perfectly. And you made sure of it. It fits together perfectly because you're perfect. God, thank you for giving it to us. You gave it to us so that we could know you in such a deep and intimate way. That's how we know you, is through your word. So God, thank you for that ability and opportunity to know you. God, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would open ears, you would open eyes, and you would open hearts to receive the truth. And Lord, we pray that your will be done, whatever that may be, amongst us today. It's in your holy, righteous, and beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, um, the first point, well, before we get to that, uh, um, this right here, let me give you a little background. We're, We're continuing and we're wrapping up the sermon on the level. That's the context of where we're at. So, this actually started, Jesus has started this back in uh, verse 20, just after he chose the 12 disciples from the masses. In verse 20, he starts out talking just to those 12, and then he switches gears in verse 27, and he starts talking to everybody who's standing around. So up until this point, everything he said pretty well, if you read back from verse 20 through here, everything he said pretty well been self-explanatory it makes sense pretty straightforward but starting with this text he uses an illustration that where he takes the physical world and he compares it with the spiritual world and so he uses an illustration that, that the people that his hearers are understanding they can understand you don't have to be a horticulturalist to understand what he's saying here a tree is known by its fruit right that's our first point a tree is known by its fruit so just like a good tree bears good fruit, and bad tree bears bad fruits, that's 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 the physical. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. That's the spiritual. All right? So there's a connection between the people who there's a connection between the people we are on the inside and the lives we lead on the outside. That makes sense? Y'all following me? All right. See, whatever fruit we produce, whether it's good or bad, it's a direct reflection of our nature. All right? We can only produce the kind of spiritual fruit that, it's in our, that, that, that we have the ability to produce or that it's in our nature to produce. The reason we say and do and, and we are the things that we are is because it's the type of people that we are. Y'all got that? You, you following? Look at verse Verse 44. He says, for each, tree is known, and for each tree is known by its own fruit. All right, now look at these trees on the screen. Can y'all tell what kind of trees they are? Do y'all know what kind of trees those are? Y'all don't know what kind of trees those are. Y'all don't have any idea what kind of trees. Quit guessing. Huh? Well, they're trees. apple for all three. That's <laughs> how they say it. Listen, you don't know. They look, they, look, they look fairly similar, fairly similar. But the reason you can't tell what kind of trees they are is, is because what Jesus said pretty well, pretty well holds true is, is that a tree is known by its fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. So all these are pictures of trees with no fruit on them. There's no fruit bloomed on these trees right now. So in order to tell what kind of trees they are, you would have to examine the fruit. And in order to examine the fruit, how would you examine the fruit of the trees? Well, yeah, that's number one. You have to. You would have to. You would have to be able to visibly, visibly see the fruit that it's produced. But how do you visibly see the fruit that it's produced? It has to produce. It has to produce it, but you got to get up close to it. You have to get up physically close to it to see it. All right, you have to get next to the tree, close to the tree to, to examine the fruit. So, from a distance, you might be able to see that there's fruit on the tree and tell what kind of fruit it is, but you can't tell if it's good fruit. You can't tell if it's bad fruit from a distance. In order to tell if it's good or bad, you've got to get close to it. Now, over here is a peach tree on the left. That's an apple tree, and that's a cherry tree. All right, peach, apple, cherry. All right, so does that make sense? You huh? do what right? <clears throat> you didn't know you just guessed <laughs> <laughs> oh so you cheat you cheat that's alright the Lord will forgive you <clears throat> that's right he did get close to it so listen if a tree's producing a, a bad fruit what does that indicate it indicates that there's something wrong inside that tree it's sick and there's something within that tree that's 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 caused it to be sick. But on the other hand, if it's if a tree is producing good fruit, then what's going on inside the tree is good. Right. It's a healthy tree. And like I said a minute ago, it's, it's the same with us. That's why Jesus used this illustration, because this was something that is that the, that the, his audience could understand. And in terms of people, there's a direct connection between the things that we do and the things that we say and the things that we are and the condition of our hearts. You following? See, like the trees, we will only operate out of our nature. We can, we can only operate out of our nature. See, an apple tree won't produce a peach. No matter how much you want it to, an apple tree won't produce a, a peach, or a healthy tree won't produce sick fruit. The fruit we produce will only be fruit that we have the ability to produce. All right? So We understand that. You know, we can typically get that and understand that, and that's all well and good. And it's all well and good until, until we come to the realization that every single person born since, since Adam faces the same problem. We're born sinners who only produce bad fruit. Every one of us are born sinners with the ability to only produce bad fruit. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Hmm. Y'all get that? So in other words, we're born exactly, doing exactly what our nature indicates, that we, what we're going to do, or our nature dictates. We walk and follow the course of the world. We follow Satan, the prince of the power of the air. We're sons of disobedience. We only desire the passions of the flesh. And by nature, Paul says, by nature we are children of wrath. That's how every one of us are born. So we're born... Sinners producing bad fruit. There's no other way for us to live but to be producing bad fruit. No other way. And look, that's heavy. That's some heavy stuff to take in, but it's even more serious than that because our problem is a lot worse than we realize. See, we're born sinful bearing sinful fruit, but God demands we be righteous bearing good fruit. So how how, how do you... How does that happen? How do you you bear good fruit when God demands it when we're born sinful, bearing sinful fruit? God commanding us, God commanding us to do it as a natural person in our sinful state won't make it happen. It won't. That'd be like walking up to an apple tree and saying and hollering at it, hollering at it to grow a peach. It's impossible. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. But that's what God requires, right? Absolutely, that's what he requires. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. God will never command you to do something that he hasn't first given you the ability to do. Does that make sense? He will never command you to do something that he hasn't first given you the ability to do so in order for the sinner that produces sinful fruit to be righteous and bear good fruit there's got to first be a nature change you got to be born again y'all making sense y'all keep y'all look confused or asleep You're in a daze. y'all okay everybody good all right i say anything wrong anybody got questions okay all right so what can you do what can you do about the state that you're in as a sinner nothing absolutely nothing you can't do anything for you to assume that you can do anything is to assume that you have the power within yourself to do what god requires of you and that makes the cross and the grace of god ineffective It really does. To assume that you have the power within yourself to do anything good apart from God says that Jesus died in vain. That he died for nothing. But we know that he didn't. We know that he didn't because it it is impossible for us as lost people to stand righteous before God. It takes a miracle from God and it takes the, the, the mercy and the grace of God. For us to be righteous. So what so what's mercy and grace? What's mercy? Mercy is where where God doesn't give us what we deserve, right? His judgment. Grace is a separate thing. Grace is where God gives us what we didn't earn. So mercy is where he doesn't give us what we deserve, and then grace is where he does give us what we didn't earn, which is his forgiveness, his favor. So in order for a person to fulfill what Jesus is talking about in our text that we bear good fruit, it it requires a miracle of God's grace and mercy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. So God changes our nature. He regenerates us. All right. He does it. He rebirths us. He takes us from death to life. It's all him. We don't have anything to do with it. We bring nothing to the equation but the problem. Nothing in our nature as lost people will ever cause us to produce good fruit. Because as lost people, there's nothing good about us at all. But here's our problem. Listen to me. Here's our problem. As human beings, as humans, we try to fix things on our own. We try to do it ourselves. And we go about it the wrong way. Here's what we do. We look at the symptoms of the problem. And we look at the symptoms and we say... Just because we see the symptoms, we can, we can figure out the diagnosis. And we diagnose the problem because of the symptoms. Then we convince ourselves that we fixed our, fixed our problems because we recognize the symptoms. Does that make sense? That's what we do. You following? All right. But that's backwards. That's backwards. We're not sinners because we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And we're born that way. Our sinful actions don't make us sinners. We're born sinners. It's in our nature. And, because it's, in our, and it's, because it's in our nature, that's why we sin. Your actions don't determine your nature. Your nature determines your actions. But that's, isn't that how we deal with our kids? If you think about it, that's how every one of us parents, most of us, I'm not going to speak for you. I'll speak for myself. That's how we deal with our kids. When they do something wrong, what's our first instinct? Fix the behavior, to fix the behavior. We don't don't deal with the root of the problem, though. Most of the time, we we fix the behavior. We don't go to the heart of the issue. We just slap a Band-Aid on it. Because most of the time, it's easier that way. It's less time-consuming. And a lot of times, we'll reward our kids for knowing the right things to do and say. Without ever dealing with the condition of their hearts. Without ever even being concerned with the condition of their hearts. We just reward behavior that's in line with good behavior. That's what we do. But we don't deal with their natures, we don't deal with their need for Jesus. All right. Well, in the text, go ahead and flip to Matthew 7. Matthew's account of the text. The reason I want you to turn there, so let's start in verse 15, is so you can see who he's talking to. We give more of a picture of the context. When you read Matthew's account, he said, be aware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So I can go on, but the picture is here. I just want you to see who he's talking about. All right, he's speaking about false teachers. And really truly really speaking about the Pharisees because that's kind of who's in this crowd standing around. So he's speaking about them. All right, the false teachers. And, and when we talk about Pharisees at this point in time, what are they considered to be? Legalistic. Right? They're considered to be legalistic. They're more than anything they are legalistic. And and we're really truly just as prone to legalism today as they were then. Legalism says a person is good because they do good things, but that puts the cart before the horse. See, Legalism says if you do this, you'll be good. If you do X, you're good. If you feed the homeless, you're a good person. If you give money to charity, you're a good person. If you dedicate your life to educating people, you're a good person. If you volunteer your time, you're a good person. If you do good things, that makes you a good person. So in other words, legalism addresses the symptoms. It assumes everything else is good. But here's the picture, it's, it's like Buffy has a cancer patient, all right? And that cancer patient is in a ton of pain. And so because he's in pain, Buffy prescribes him very high doses of uh, pain medicine. And he gets his pain under control and the guy's not in any kind of pain anymore. And so because he's not in any pain, Buffy says, you're good. Sends him home. What's going to happen to that guy? He's going to die of cancer. Because Buffy treated the symptom, he didn't treat the root of the problem. Well, that's the point. Legalism is man-made. Legalism is from man. And it never addresses our real problem, which is our nature. Only God can give us a new nature. And by that new nature... Can we ever produce anything that's good? Ever. Last a uh, last point I want to make on part one. Jesus says in verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's a truth right there. We could spend five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve Sundays on. It really is. The most powerful weapon we have is our tongue. And Jesus says right here, the mouth and the lips of a man will ultimately reveal what's in his heart. Remember in Isaiah 6? Isaiah gets in the presence of the Lord and he's overcome. He's overwhelmed. He says, Woe to me. He pronounces he, he pronounces woes unto himself, which, if you understand the context, that's huge. Then but he says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What we say, what we talk about the most is what fills our heart. It is. Now that doesn't mean evil fills our heart if, if the old man pops up and we say something that we, we regret later on out of anger. That happens to all of us. But if the general theme of our conversations is evil, then you can, I, you can pretty well guarantee the source is evil. If the general theme of everything you say is rooted in sin, then you can pretty well guarantee that your nature is still the way it was when you were originally born. That's just the truth of the matter. Listen, there's no excuse you can give that will ever separate the connection between the tree's fruit and the nature of the tree. That makes sense? Let me say that again. There's never an excuse you can give that will ever separate the connection between a tree's fruit and the nature of the tree. I didn't say that. Jesus did in our text. All right, that's our first point. A tree is known by its fruit. Here's the second point. The fruit of a true disciple is obedience. The fruit of a true disciple is obedience. Look at verses 46 and 47. I'm to go back to Luke. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. So God expects us to do something impossible, which is bear good fruit due to our nature being changed. And we need to examine ourselves. What's the type of fruit we're producing? We'll flip to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So that's the famous fruit of the Spirit text. So the fruit of the Spirit, it really reveals what? What does the fruit of the Spirit reveal? It reveals the character of our lives when we're led and filled by the Holy Spirit. And consistent with this text is what Jesus teaches us in John 14. And that's the singular fruit of a disciple. The singular fruit of a disciple is obedience. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. So compare that with verse 47. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. So right here, he gives us a true description of what a disciple really and truly is. He says a disciple, three things. He says the disciple, number one, comes to Christ. He's the disciple, a true disciple is one who comes to Christ, who, he, number two, hears his words, and number three, does them. And I, I think that's kind of, um, you know, we do them here, but I think that's kind of the danger of invitations in church today. That's why Buffy and I are really careful when we give them about what we say. Because if we're not careful when we say come to Christ, then you run the risk of teaching somebody that all they need to do is walk an aisle and pray on prayer, and they're saved. And that's it. But that's not the message Jesus has given here. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Obedience doesn't cause salvation. True, genuine salvation produces Obedience. True, genuine salvation produces obedience. All I'm saying is, that let's not be flippant. Let's not, let's not be arrogant in describing how somebody's saved. Salvation is the sovereign act of God, and the, ev- and the evidence of that is a real, obedient life. It is. All right? So, so a tree is known by its fruit, and the fruit of a true disciple is obedience. Third point is, the true disciple builds his foundation on the rock the true disciple builds his foundation on the rock. So verse 48 says, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So we just saw what Jesus said about um, describing the actions of a true disciple in that verse before. Now he compares those actions to something physical. He said, he's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So the order of the text as a whole, you've got to understand he's not saying that in order to be a Christian, you have to dig deep and lay a foundation on the rock. But he's saying that if you are a believer, if you are a true, genuine believer, then you will dig deep and build the foundation on the rock. So look, that meaning is clear. It's pretty clear to me. I mean, building a foundation on the rock is not something that's easy. It's not easy to do. It takes work. It takes a lifetime of submission. It takes sacrifice. But the true believer will do it. The true believer will do it, not because he's trying to please God, but because he's, he lives a life of being obedient to the Lord. So look at the text. Jesus is extremely careful and clear with his words that he used. Kevin mentioned this. I got tickled in, in Sunday school because he, he used it in another text. But Jesus, he does the same thing right here. He used a definite article, the, in that text. He didn't say A, he said the. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. The rock is Jesus alone. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, such a man's religion may cost him much. Like the house built on a rock, it may entail on him pains, labor, and self-denial. To lay aside pride and self-righteousness, to crucify the rebellious flesh, to put on, on the mind of Christ, to take up the cross daily, to count all things but loss for Christ's sake. All this may be hard work. But like the house built on the rock, such religion will stand. The streams of affliction may beat violently upon it, and the floods of persecution dash fiercely against it, but it will not give away. It will not give away. Hmm. So, a tree is known by its fruit the fruit of a true disciple's obedience. The true disciple builds his foundation on the rock. And here's our last point as I wrap it up. The foundation on the rock will persevere. The foundation on the rock will persevere. back at the text. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. And so it's just like that with 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 the believer, the true believer, the genuine believer. We've got nothing, absolutely nothing to fear and it's hard to understand And I, as I was writing through this yesterday afternoon um, we talked about perseverance at Kevin's house yesterday and uh, Mr. David talked about fear and that was just going through my head continuously but listen as believers as children of Christ children of God you have nothing to fear nothing man brings against you will stand at all ever We have nothing to fear because we stand on the only true, solid foundation in existence, and that's Jesus, the rock. Look, we're not saved by good works. Remember that. We're not saved by good works. We're saved unto good works. Does that make sense? So if we've been born again, we've got a new nature, and we'll bear fruit, good fruit. And the evidence of that that is our obedience. And by that, we build our lives on the rock of Christ. And because our lives are built on Christ and Christ alone, we will persevere to the end. Every one of us is a builder. Every one of us. You're building. Because to build is to live, essentially. The question is, what foundation are we building on? See, there's only two kinds of builders. The one who builds on Christ and the the one who builds on themselves relying on their works and their abilities. Problem is, those who build who build their lives on Christ will persevere. All others are going to wash away. Right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for who you are and your perfect, sovereign plan. God, I'm asking you right now that should there be any in uh, amongst us today that are living without Christ, God, I'm asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would regenerate their hearts through the hearing of the gospel. If that be your will today, Lord, I pray that happen so that we all may rejoice at your power at work amongst us. God, thank you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I, I, we've taken in a lot, but 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 there's really a whole lot more we could take in. And first, before I move on, I want to tell you, come back tonight. We'll continue discussing this. There's only so much that we can give you here. We'll continue discussing this tonight at six. All right. So, from our text, we can see and understand that there's some key things about ourselves that and about God that we can we can understand. First, when when we compare ourselves to a tree. Jesus says good trees don't can't produce bad fruit, right? And bad trees can't produce good fruit. It's all dependent on what? Our nature. It's all dependent on our nature. So if we're living still living by the nature we were born with, then we're sinners. We're sinners. We're God's enemy. Totally completely separated from him. Nothing we do in our natural state is good. It's not. It's impossible. Nothing is pleasing to the Lord in our natural state. We fall short of His glory. We're unable, in, in, incapable of producing good. The only thing we can produce as natural people in our natural born state is evil. That's it. That's all we have the ability to produce. That's it. God's the one that has to change our condition. It's all dependent upon Him. Our text, I mean, the text today is clear. A good person bears good fruit, right? Well, what's a good person? What's a good person? Would, some, would, would anybody in here classify themselves as a good person? Some of you might. Some of you might say you're a good person. Buffy gives you this test all the time. What, here's the test. What's the test? Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. We've all told lies, right? Have you ever stolen? We've all stolen. E- even if you haven't stolen anything physical, every one of us has loafed on our job. Every one of us. So we've stolen from our bosses. We have. You ever looked at another person with lust? Yeah. That's adultery. It's adultery. You ever been mad at somebody? Jesus said you're a murderer. In your heart, you've committed murder. So you think you're a good person by those standards? That's just four of the Ten Commandments. We could keep going, but that's just just four of them. And Jesus said if you break one, you've broken them all. So if you die and stand before God, a holy, righteous God, would you stand guilty of breaking His law? Or would you be able to say, God, I'm a good person? What would He say? What would God say to you? If you agree that you stand before him guilty, what's his judgment going to be? Remember, he's holy. He's just. He's righteous. So he will judge sin and pour his wrath out upon the man who dies still in his sin. So do you think the good person argument will ever hold up with God? can't. Because none of us are good. None of us. Romans 3 says it. The Bible says it. Romans 3 says there is none who does good. There's not even one. So the word of God says no one is good. But here's here's the but. Here's the but. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus, in a 100% perfect, obedient love to the Father, He came, He lived a sinless, perfect life, the one we couldn't live. He went to the cross, took the very wrath of God that we deserve, that's mercy, and gave us the reward He deserved, that's grace. God allowed Jesus, His only begotten Son, to take on the punishment that we deserve. And because Jesus took on every sin of every person who would ever believe, as Isaiah 53 says, it pleased God to crush him. He crushed his son, and it pleased him to do it. He poured his wrath on his son for our sake. And three days later, approving of Jesus' sacrifice, he raised him from the dead. Now, listen, haven't heard the gospel? The Word of God commands you to repent and believe. I'm not inviting you. I'm not giving you an invitation. I'm telling you, Mark 1:15. Jesus' very word spoken in the form of a command says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It's a command. Now, what does it mean to repent? What does repent mean? Well, that word metaneo means to totally turn away from totally turn away from. So here's what it looks like. You've spent your entire life running this direction and you've been running after your sin. You've loved your sin. You've been chasing after it. You've loved it. You've not felt bad about it. You've, You've loved it. But then God comes into your life. He regenerates your heart. And when he does that, he grants you the repentance. You turn your back on that sin and you start running this direction. And what you see that you've been running away from this whole time when you turn this way, Is Jesus. So he's what you've been running away from as you've ran towards sin. Now when you turn away from your sin and start running toward Jesus, you start chasing after him your entire life. You're going to fall down. You're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. That's okay. That's okay. Repentance isn't perfect. But the change in nature means that you can't stand to run at your sin and love your sin so you turn your back towards your sin. That's what repentance is. That's biblical repentance repent and believe the gospel believe that Jesus is exactly who God said he was his son sent for your sake to die for your benefit and he stands today at the right hand of the father because he raised him from the dead and so we serve a living breathing god we don't desert we don't serve pile of bones in a grave somewhere. But our God lives. And only then, when that happens in your life, will that nature change take place. And only when that nature change take place can any fruit that you produce can be considered good. So if anybody in here, I don't know everybody's heart, but if anybody in here feels like God's revealed himself to you today, during this time of invitation, then I'm going to ask you, um, you can come down. You can, if you want. And, and praise God, hallelujah, if you do. Okay, We we all want to rejoice in God God working amongst any of you today. I hope you do, but listen, I know it's intimidating. I know it can be to walk up here. So listen, understand, I'll stay as long as you need me to. You don't have to walk up here because step there's nothing divine about that aisle. That aisle will not save you. God will save you where you sit. So if any of you feel like God has revealed himself to you today, and you've got questions, then seek me out, seek Buffy out, anybody else out in here that you know is a mature believer, and, and, and we'll have a conversation with you. I'll stay as long as we need to after service today. Um, if you've been visiting with us a while, you feel like the Lord may be calling you and your family to join us here at Crossway, then you can respond at this time too. We can have a conversation about membership. Or if you want to come to the altar to pray, if that's what you want to do, if you want to just come up here and pray about anything, if you want one of us to pray with you, we will. Uh, whatever uh, that you uh, feel, however you feel led by the Holy Spirit uh, during this time of invitation, as we stand now and sing, um, just just respond. Respond to the Holy Spirit, however He's leading yeah.